You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode 167. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show is my co-host, Pontus Böckmann. See ya! Hey San, hey San! Hello! Yeah. No Jelena it's, today. So no. sad, so sad. I mean, she is there somewhere. <laughs> uh, somewhere in the US, I'm mm. I'm assuming. Mm. Uh trying trying to find a new place to live with uh, her husband. Brad. Took the only rational uh, conclusion from this uh, mess we're in and she moved over to the US. Or <laughs> no, or no, she really. is going to. Uh, she's 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 about to, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But <laughs> Yeah, we'll still have her on the show even after that, so no worries about that. Uh, it's, it'll be a change and a new challenges for us to get the show recorded. But um, oh yeah, oh yeah! Imagine mm-hmm. that. Now it was usually me who caused some issues with uh, with the timing of mm-hmm. the recordings because of me traveling around the world and being in different time zones. But if I keep moving, because I obviously will keep moving, and Yelena will be nine hours behind you, <laughs> that will be a bit of a challenge. Yeah, I have to admit that. Yeah. Okay. Uh. <laughs> we welcome a challenge at this podcast. No problem. Absolutely. Absolutely. We've survived so far. Uh, we shouldn't have any real issues surviving even longer. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, talking about surviving... Yeah, uh, there was one building that didn't really survive. I mean, it did it mostly sort of, structurally. Sort of. Structurally, it did. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, the fire at Notre Dame is is really, uh, it's terrible. But it also it, there are so many angles to this. So I had to write down yeah. a lot of of my thoughts about this. We we're recording this now just a few days after the fact, and uh, there's so many things here. F- first of all. There were the usual expected conspiracy theories and fake Twitter accounts being created, trying to get people to believe that there was a terrorist attack and things like that. But I don't know about you, Andras, but it seems to me that it wasn't a lot of people that really bought into that. You mean... Into the conspiracy. Nobody's really seriously claimed in, in serious media or even social media in believable way that it was a, a terrorist attack. Yeah, I think it was only the the usual nut jobs that, that really Yeah. <laughs> no no so so that makes me wonder if the, is this because the news coverage was exceptionally good this time, or are we? Can we do we dare to be a little bit optimistic and say that maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe we're slowly learning not to trust these trolls? What do you think? Well, I wouldn't go as far. Uh, no, no, I think I, I think it's too far off. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. it's uh, it could be that uh, uh, we live in a different bubble from ah. from theirs, uh, because obviously we are not watching 
those news outlets and not reading those news outlets that will propagate that but 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 usually it somehow gets down to to our side as well at least it gets reported that on other news outlets there's some nut job saying saying that there's there's a conspiracy behind this and uh, i agree that i haven't come across too many of those either maybe i do live in a bubble as you say but i haven't come <laughs> across anyone who really thought this was uh, a terrorist attack the normal rumors that actually reach me they didn't come this time so i don't know well maybe... i have to say that on facebook i have come across a couple of those yeah yeah, i'm sure i'm sure it must be partly because i'm not willing to let go of, the, of those people who think differently from me hmm. no uh, occasionally i end up debating people but i i don't do that too often anymore because i don't have the time yeah. i just know exactly that i <laughs> i will not change their minds yeah but uh i do occasionally come across some posts put up by people who are absolutely crackpots and and <laughs> i've come across some weird ideas about uh the, the fire at notre dame yeah sorry sorry notre dame it's silly we shouldn't pronounce it as notre dame notre it's dame notre, notre dame notre dame notre Vive dame la France. oui yeah. yes oui. <laughs> yeah, but I did come across a few things, of course, uh, but not something that anybody really would believe in. Like, ah, okay, N Nostradamus, of course, came up immediately. Always ah, the go-to okay. guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. That. Okay, no, 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 and, no, no, no. And then I heard, seen that. And then I heard about the these gargoyles on the roof, these monsters that they had on the roof. Okay. Uh, very famous on Notre Dame, as a, as a gothic, a real gothic cathedral would do. Yeah. Sure, yeah, and and of course <laughs> they have been protecting the church for hundreds of years but now as part of the renovation as they were removed to be renovated that's why they couldn't stop the church from being destroyed i saw that one uh, that that's <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a cute one i think i think it's, it's quite cute actually yeah in a way I, I, i'd like to believe that they were protecting the the church for all these years but uh, not not of course not in a serious way <laughs> and and yeah i'm definitely not serious and definitely not very successful because i have to say that based on what i know about the history of the building i mm -hmm. think it it has had some really really down into dumb periods of times in its um more than 800 years year old history so i th i think i think it wasn't always that okay. shiny okay. and magical so uh <laughs> I, I I think I've read somewhere that at some point it was even used as a storage building. Aha. Uh -huh. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Not all that glorious. No, maybe not. But speaking of storage, now, of course, they had these uh, fragments of uh, the Christ's thorny crown and other relics and stuff. And that was so bravely rescued by, by a priest. And they were... That, that, that story, of course, I understand that sells papers and clicks, but... Do anybody really believe today that those relics are the real thing? That it's really a part of the Christ's thorny crown that they keep there? <laughs> oh, well, I have to say that some, some of the reportings that I've seen about it, especially Snopes, because Snopes now works as a news outlet as well, mm. and they, they said the purported crown of christ uh, okay that, that's <laughs> so, good so that i think i think that's quite on the spot i it's yeah i guess some of these relics like the shroud of turin etc it is fake but some of these fakes are so old that they still have an historic value in in themselves i don't know how old this 
thorny crown exactly. must be. But uh, anyway, but of course somebody saw Christ in the flames, and that that to me is really crazy because <laughs> why would he be there and and showing up in the well, flames? That means he set the thing on fire, doesn't it? I I don't even get it. Yeah, and uh, someone saw uh, a Muslim person in the. Uh, uh, I'm sure they did on the building uh, as well. I think it was. Turned out it was the the leader of the firefighters. So yeah, was he a Muslim? Maybe. <laughs> yeah, no, he <laughs> <Maybe>. wasn't. <laughs> he wasn't, and even if he was, he was trying to figure out how to fight the actual fire, the flames, and uh, he was assessing the situation from up there. Yeah, but that leads me to another thing. Some people talk about this as a miracle that they were able to save the two towers and the the structure is fairly intact and they will be able to it'll cost a lot of money of course but they will be able to make it to uh, what do you call it fix it up that's that's not the term but anyway yeah. but, but it's not a miracle it took over 400 well-trained and heroic firemen to do this with all and modern and 12 hours <laughs> yeah and modern technology and drones and stuff no not a drone but they had some robot uh, i don't know exactly what they had but they did have some really advanced equipment to do this calling it a miracle it's actually diminishing their the work that was done by the people on the ground it was Fantastic. If you want to talk about a miracle and want to talk about God in this situation and in, in this context, I think the best one I've come across was the claim that if God was there and God was fighting this fire and, and trying to put it up, God worked in the form of those couple of hundreds, oh, okay. hundred uh, firefighters. Yeah. But it's still... And their bravery and their, their actions. But doesn't it take um... away from their... Okay, well... Neil, you know what? I, I can settle for that. So okay. if if you want to believe that God was uh, was leading their hands and God was giving them courage and all that stuff, all that jazz, I don't have a problem with that. Okay. But please don't diminish the actual achievement of those couple hundred people. Yeah, exactly. Because they were total heroes. Yeah, they I were, mean, really, yes. <laughs> Also, there are some lessons that we as skeptics could actually learn from this. And that's not to be too hasty and to respond as if we know everything, because, of course, we don't. I saw yeah. one Twitter exchange, and I see it's being shared in my bubble a lot, where there was a Christian apologist who wanted to make a big thing out of the fact that the big golden cross had not melted in the fire. Did you see that one? Yeah, as a miracle. Yeah, no, yeah, it was a miracle. How can you not believe in God when this golden cross did not melt? And then the reply was from the skeptic side that, of course, gold doesn't melt at the 600 degrees Celsius that could be expected from burning wood. You have to go over a thousand degrees. And then, of course, there was a new confusion because the Christian side confused Celsius and Fahrenheit. So they said it was over a thousand degrees. And, you know, and then, that triggers, and that this is going to be my point here, that triggers us skeptics to be, oh, they're so stupid believers, ha, ha, ha. But then somebody else pointed out that the whole discussion about degrees was totally misguided from the start because the cross would probably never have been even near the heart of the fire anyway. So it wouldn't be 600 yeah. or whatever number of degrees. And there are pictures of this cross from after the fire when you can also even see wax candles nearby that are still intact 
So, yeah. so, so <laughs> this 600 degrees or whatever didn't even reach the cross. So, so yeah, I, th- yeah. I think we should be a little bit more humble and not, not just call people stupid because 600 degrees, blah, blah, blah. I think there are always more information. You don't know everything. Don't shame people like that. Also, also, I, I do have a theory about why people are are ready to jump into the conclusion that there there had to be some kind of conspiracy, mm-hmm. and someone had to pour some flammable material on the roof or something, uh, <laughs> because why would a tin roof go up in flames? Yeah. Well, the church buildings, the the structure of them. Obviously, there is a vault in the inside that is made of bricks or stone. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's not flammable. Mm. However, the actual roof, the roof structure, it's made of wood. Yes, of course. And yeah. the older it is, imagine that and it has a tin covering. Now, under a tin cover, the wood can dry out to the extreme. Yeah, of course. Especially in the course of centuries. So if it gets just... A tiny spark, it can go up in flames immediately. And this is probably what happened. And why the building structure is in danger in in situations like this is because the roof, as it collapses, takes down the walls and it takes out the vault. And as the vault comes down, the vault is not only there to cover and to be atop of the building, but also it has a structural function the one that that keeps the walls together so yeah. there was actual fear that the 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 building's walls can come down as well yes yeah and it's very very fortunate that it 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 didn't happen so i'm looking at this from the perspective of a tour guide when i explain the the history of a building more often than not it includes one mention at least one mention of a great fire Almost every yeah. famous building has had at least one time when it burned down completely. Yeah. yeah. And then it had to be rebuilt. Mm. So, unfortunately, that time for Notre Dame came, came right now. Came now, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. Right. Okay. I, we shouldn't spend the whole episode talking yeah, about yeah, yeah. this, Obviously but not. but I have yeah, yeah. one more comment. that I Just a comment, and we'll see what, what comes out of this in the future. It's where how quickly money has been donated now to rebuild the whole thing, which I I don't have a problem with that. But there's two billionaires, for instance, pledged uh, one pledged a hundred million do- uh, not dollars, one hundred million euros, and the other pledged uh, two hundred million euros, almost I think on the same day. And as we talk now, I think the donations have have almost reached one billion euros. So. Lots of people, I believe, will find it even offensive that these people have been sitting on so much money all this time, not contributing them to reduce poverty, vaccinations, or education, or whatever. Yeah. So you could argue that Notre Dame is, or Notre Dame is, is just a fancy building. And apparently these guys care more for dead things than for the lives of people. I think mm-hmm. that discussion will be interesting to listen to going forward. Yeah, and I completely agree. It's phenomenal how quick they have been to offer these sums, whereas there are issues, really difficult problems in the world that could be solved by allocating that much money to them. Yeah, yeah. 
However, my my hometown, even my hometown, is sending ten thousand euros to that. <laughs> really, Sikkesfehervar. Sikkesfehervar. And why it pisses me off? Because <laughs> I have been involved in a couple of very important, in my opinion, very important cultural events in the city that were struggling to make ends meet and make to actually happen because of the lack of funding and they applied for funding to the city and the city refused even though in recent years it almost always gave at least a little sum to that so for example um, the memorial day of our greatest poet which is uh, the na- national poetry day here in hungary we had an event for for schools it didn't pledge anything to it hmm. and another competition for high schoolers about the eu and it was struggling to actually be feasible and doable because of the lack of funding and when it comes to Notre Dame they send 10,000 euros immediately hmm. fuck you <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i thought that, that kind of discussion i think will happen all over the place going forward yeah the I'm world sure will not really be the same before and after this yeah. fire so it's a, it's a it's a huge thing so yeah but if uh, someone feels like uh, sending some money to something that actually counts and matters, really matters, not only for the religious souls, but for our future, uh, like, for example, how science works and uh, what pieces of scientific research has have to be retracted because of um, the lack of uh, actual quality to them, then please send a couple of uh, euros, dollars or whatever money you have to Retraction Watch. Because uh, recently, ah, yeah. Retraction Watch issued a call for uh, for funding. It's amazing what they do. Imagine a team, a teeny tiny team that keeps their eyes on everything that gets published around the world. And when articles, scientific papers get retracted, then they publish it. Uh, I mean, the retraction, the fact of the retraction. So I think it's a very important piece of action when it comes to the dignity and the actual structure of science. It's it's not fair that they're struggling to keep up. (laughs) Yeah, we know that it's very important because even retracted articles or studies, they get cited because people don't really realize or they don't care or they don't check so they keep on citing things that has been debunked as as a foundation for their own research etc so so it is very important that somebody keeps track of where science went wrong and where we have reason to say okay this study was crap so let's not push that anymore yeah so um please go on their website and if you can donate a little or a larger sum uh, whatever you can afford, if you agree that uh, it's very important what they do. Yep. Okay, before we move on to our actual segments, not all of which will be included in the show because of, um, I don't know why, <laughs> we try to work out how we share the burden of not having Yelena around. Yeah. However, I want, to, I want to share with you and the listeners a great experience that I had I just had recently. I apologize because one of the reasons why I 
couldn't publish the last show, uh, episode 166, in time, was that I just couldn't resist going to this event, which was uh, organized by the Hungarian Skeptic Society, the regular monthly skeptical club it was. And the topic was how science fiction can shape society and what we can learn from science fiction and oh my god when they started discussing because a pub a book is being published now about that uh with 15 different authors including gabor roshko who's the president of the hungarian skeptic society so it was a very nice discussion and i loved every moment of it when people who actually know their stuff about this the pieces of science fiction that we love like star trek like like Star Wars, like uh, however we established that Star Wars is not really science fiction, but Star Trek and and you know everything about Star Trek, Doctor Who, it was amazing. So it was a very uplifting conversation. I'm so uh, so delighted about it because I felt that connection that we always feel in the skeptical gatherings mm. that the geek culture is there, and the geek culture is not that peripheral anymore. It's much more part of the main mainstream. Yeah. It is. The geek will inherit the earth. No, I wasn't right. Quite <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, if you haven't done that in your events, talking to our listeners across Europe or the world, it's it's really worth doing because uh, you will have a lot of fun and uh, you'll have the, the, the sense of, uh, well, actually saving the world or our future. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Great. Okay. Shall we start the actual show with the Not segments? Not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. Mm. Let's do that. Uh, so, since Jana's not here with us today, I'd like to use this opportunity to talk about This Week in Skepticism, and this opportunity presents itself for me to talk about someone who's Hungarian and very near and dear to my heart. He's an astronomer mm-hmm. involved in space science and uh, a physicist as well. He's um, the honorary president of the Hungarian Astronautical Society, and um, he's uh, a researcher of the Hungarian Academy of Sciences and uh, an associate member of the International Astronautical Academy as well. So, and he was born on the 21st of April in 1932. So, uh, he's not not the Mm -hmm. youngest of people. But I know him personally, and I love him very much. He's, he's, he's an amazing person. Imagine a person, well, in the late 60s, he was about my age when 50 years ago, Neil Armstrong made the first step on the, mo- on the sur- surface of the moon. And he was the probably the best known astronomical science commentator in Hungary. So he was touring the country back then, talking about this stuff. His name is Ivan Olmar, and he might be known to some who follows what's going on with SETI, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, Ooh. because uh, yeah, he's been he's been busy doing that for a long, long time. And uh, have do you know who Jill Tarter is? Uh, no, I can't say I do. Okay, so Jill Tarter and Ivan Olmar, uh, they came up with uh, the so-called Rio scale that uh, quantifies the impact of any public announcement regarding evidence of extraterrestrial intelligence, if it happens and when it happens. We all hope that at some point it will happen. 
especially those who have seen First Contact, yeah. which is my favorite of all the the Star Trek movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but well, let's let's hope it's not going to be one of those Orson Welles moments where people run mad. No, and, no, no, yeah, no, 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 World of Wars, no, <laughs> oh, War of Worlds, yeah. sorry. <laughs> No, but they came up with this uh, scale, 1 to 10 scale, because obviously if it's just debatable and interpreted as a sign of extraterrestrial intelligence, obviously it shouldn't be hyped too much. Uh, But while Jill Tartar is very important is because he's widely considered to be the one upon whom the character of Ellie Arroway in Contact is is based on. Aha, okay. So The Contact is is the book uh, by uh, Carl Sagan. Yeah. It's a well-known fact that Jill Tarter was um, the one that Carl Sagan based Ellie Arroway's uh, character on. Mm. So, yeah, and they worked together. They came up uh, together with this uh, Rio scale, and he was in- involved in San Marino scale as well, which was the earlier one proposed earlier. So, yeah, Ivan Omar... He's uh, turning 87 now on the 21st of April, and I hope that he's uh, he will be around for a long, long, long time. He's given us so much. Hungarian science education cannot be imagined without him. Mm. Good. Yeah. All right. And that means that we're moving on to our next segment. Do we have something to poke the Pope for this week? Actually, I was going to give uh, the Pope uh, a week off because it hasn't mm. been too much around. He's been the the most fun thing he did was he offered a, a ride in the Pope mobile to some kids. <laughs> so so he was running around oh. there with the, the Pope mobile, which I think was very nice of him. So that's not good. He also said hello to Greta Thunberg. We haven't talked too much about her, but she's the the of course I think everybody knows who she is now. She's the young Swede who is promoting climate change action uh, nowadays. And she met with with the Pope, and he said to her, "Carry on, carry on." That's what he said. So, but apart from that, I don't think I have a lot to talk about the Pope f- for this week. So, uh, let's give it a miss this week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Well, time for you to catch your breath. Dear Pope Francis. <laughs> I'm sure he's very grateful. <laughs> he must be absolutely stressed out because of um, your weekly pokings. <laughs> I'm sure sure he is. <laughs> All right, so then uh, let's move on to the news items, shall we? Since we started with uh, discussing the goings-on in France, why don't we start with uh, with something that is actually good news coming from France? And the health officials in France just published a bit of a leaflet with uh, the numbers of the first quarter of the year with regards to measles cases. So France has been known to be one of those countries in Europe where measles is is a little bit of an issue. So it's been quite strongly discussed internationally that more than 3000 cases were reported in the in the last uh, 2 years uh, out of which 1532 cases in the first quarter of 2008. So obviously that was a peak period 
Mm. And compared to that, luckily, or I don't know if it has something with to do with luck or hmm. the actions of health officials or the health authorities, but uh, this time of uh, the year, the first quarter has seen 561 cases of measles reported. That's still bad, though. It is really bad still. Uh, 174 of them required hospitalization, some of them in intensive care, 9% of them had pneumonia, and one death was reported uh, due to ankyphalitis. So the shocking part of this, I mean, not shocking in the sense that it's not surprising at all, but uh, it makes it very clear why the situation is like this, is that they say that more than 9 out of 10 cases were unvaccinated or under-vaccinated. Ah. Under-vaccinated means that they didn't get the, the booster shot. It's important to get that too. The situation is still not good, but France has been one of those countries that introduced mandatory vaccination and made it more widely available, and it seems to be paying off. So uh, hope that the trend continues and it'll lead to an actual massive drop in cases. Yeah, well... Not to be uh, the negative guy here, but if you look internationally, the number of measles cases are continuing to increase. According to WHO, I would say that the measles cases in in the world at large is not slowing down, even if it may be the case in France. So the WHO compared the first quarter of 2019 with the first quarter of last year, and they found that there was an increase of 300% in the number of cases reported. 300% also when you look at, at Europe. So uh, France may be the exception, but way too early to, to say that uh, measles are going away again. It's still increasing a lot. We're looking at 170 countries. There were 112,000 cases so far, just in the first three months of 2019. So that's mm-hmm. that's really bad. Uh, worst was um, Africa. In Africa, the increase was 700%. It was 100% or a doubling in the Eastern Mediterranean, 40% in Southeast Asia and the Western Pacific. So way too early to conclude that measles are on its way down in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately. We will continue to, to watch these numbers, but we've been talking about this for for over two years, I believe, three years maybe, and uh, as long as we've been talking about it, it's just been increasing and increasing and increasing. So yeah, maybe we should stop talking about it. Maybe it's our fault. What we need <laughs> is watchdogs to keep an eye out for the changes, and obviously legislators who try to make an effort to to tackle the issues. However, I think without actual business ventures appearing on this field, I don't think we'll get anywhere. I I do understand that uh, business ventures uh, draw in the conspiracy theorists as well, because uh, the big pharma, the big money, the big whatever. But um, I don't think uh, we, we need to worry that much. For example, and this is what an American company uses as funding, I believe, is that uh, there are insurance companies in the world 
and the insurance uh, policies have to be based on numbers, statistics. The risks have to be mitigated and assessed based on the actual facts. I think this is the direction that we need to go. And a company called Metabiota does just that. They operate using the most comprehensive, this is what they claim, the most comprehensive epidemic database in the world. It's it's pretty cool that they do that, but they just launched uh, something that will be very useful for everyone around the world. They launched a website that is called Epidemic Tracker. Mm. We will include the, the link in the show notes. And if you go on the on the link and visit the website, you will see a world map with all the different countries where new data is available. It's shown by an, an orange dot. And there is the color coding for the number of tracked epidemics in the different countries. And um, it's pretty useful. I mean, you can see the data regarding what kind of epidemic is there, when the first known case appeared, and when the last known case appeared. It's really a very comprehensive database that they used, and they display it all. Obviously, when you want to use it for commercial purposes, like in the case of an insurance company, obviously you have to buy the database. So just a graphical representation of it will not help you that much. But when you are a legislator, when you want to understand what's going on in the world, it's pretty good. It's, it's pretty important to see that. And why it's even more important is because the World Economic Forum in January published an article with the title Risks to Global Businesses from New Era of Epidemics Rival Climate Change. Now, that's a very strong claim because we always talk about how climate change is the biggest threat to humanity that we face these days. But I have to say, and I think we've been discussing that for the last couple of months as well, global epidemics, antibiotic resistance, and a combination of all those is pretty much up there with climate change. So we have to take all this seriously. And uh, based on what uh, that article says... The claim is made that pandemics could cause 550 billion US dollars of annual loss to the global economy, Mm. which is a shitload of money. Yeah. (laughs) So that money could be spent on actually making a huge amount of change instead of suffering of the, the, the economy suffering from the effects of it, the secondary effects. I mean, for example, measles and, um, vaccinestoday.eu uh, published a piece by Gary Finnegan that says that measles outbreaks will have long-lasting impact because some of the impacts can stay in the or some of the effects on the immune system even the measles when the measles virus has been fought by your body the immune system's memory can take it on for about three years, up to three years, and it could have effects that will come up later. So with uh, close to 100,000 people in Europe contracting measles last year, well, it could be a very serious issue in the future. Okay. So we have to tackle it right now, right here. Absolutely. But it's a a great uh, website. We will use it in in the future, of course. Exactly. Very interesting. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. So one thing that's very important when you fight epidemics is vaccinations, right? Yeah, of course, yeah. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, some groups are uh, not so keen on vaccinations. Our friend Edzard Ernst has a recent blog about anthroposophy and their stance on vaccinations. The reason that he did that is that the International Federation of Anthroposophic Medical Associations, which is apparently a thing, they just published a, a <laughs> statement on vaccination. And they paint the picture in the statement that anthroposophy firmly, and I quote, firmly supports vaccination as an important measure to prevent life-threatening diseases. Anthroposophic medicine is not anti-vaccine and does not support anti-vaccine movements, end quote. So that sounds good, right? We've we've been uh, <laughs> criticizing. I have, I think, and we have been criticizing the anthroposophic yeah. movement uh, before, especially regarding vaccinations, but also about other things. But one thing: note that the term they use is life-threatening diseases. Now, Etterdons doesn't make a point of that, but it's well known that most anthroposophs they they refuse to label childhood diseases like measles, mumps, and rubella as life-threatening. They think that's beneficial for the body, something you should go through. So that's the first red flag in that uh, statement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But also, as uh, Etterdons does point out, is that there's every reason to be skeptical about this declaration for other uh, reasons. There's no doubt, if you look at things, there's no doubt that vaccination rates are much lower among anthroposophs and in areas served by clinics with the anthroposophic staff than other areas. I've seen this mm-hmm. in Sweden several times. Just a year ago, I think, there was a f- former nurse at the Vidar clinic that is now on its way to be dismantled, as we've talked about before. But she was spreading anti-vax information at the primary care center that she was now working at. And that was a non-anthroposophic place, but she was working there then. You can go back to the writings of Rudolf Steiner, who was the father behind the anthroposophic movement. It's not hard to find direct contradictions to this new statement. Because, you see, um, Steiner believed in reincarnation. And somehow you're supposed to have these diseases as part of your spiritual development. Mm -hmm. And this is a quote that I'm going to read from the Anthropomed Library, which is something that you can find online, (laughs) and it makes it perfectly clear. And I quote, Anthroposophic medicine teaches that to prevent a disease in the physical body only postpones what will then be produced in another incarnation. So you shouldn't fight diseases in this life because that will uh, postpone things that will be then produced somehow in another incarnation. So it doesn't help that the anthroposophic movement make these kind of declarations when they are. it's clear that their whole literature is full of of nonsense like this. And I know that a a lot of uh, people who believe in anthroposophy and follow that movement and try to live up to that, they they read the original text. And according to that, you should not be vaccinated because then you just delay your spiritual development. (laughs) Well, but your spiritual uh, development can uh, really be abruptly stopped by you dying. (laughs) No, not if you believe in reincarnation, though. That's true. That's true. But then you will have to take care of your karma. Oh, yes. 
There's a lot of talk of karma in in uh, Rudolf Steiner's uh, uh, writings. Yeah. <laughs> nice, yeah, yeah, yeah. nice. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, but if you if you want to talk about vaccinations, it's difficult to go against all the misinformation that is spreading, mm-hmm. right? And one of the ways that misinformation spreads is by Facebook posts. And sometimes not only just a small, teeny, tiny posts that are natively or, or naturally spread by others, but it can be paid for and it can be actually boosted by different sums of money that you pay in. And this is one of the the main means of generating revenue for Facebook. Yeah. However... As uh, recently, they have been under attack for uh, their their algorithms and how they can actually change the outcome of political races and how elections can be decided based on or what is propagated on Facebook by others. Obviously, they are trying to put an end to that or at least to try to, well, cover their, their asses from being kicked so they decided, and um, there was um event um, um, festival, a journalism festival in uh, Perugia. I think it was in uh, Perugia in Italy, not too long ago. And uh, they started publishing online communications, and uh, a talk was given as well at that event about how they want to uh, put an end to that. So they want to stop advertising for some of the outlets some of the posts will have to be pre-authorized in order for them to be boostable mm-hmm. and they came up with um, a method of uh, deciding who can and who cannot boost their posts and generate traffic and and more views of their posts there 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 is a so-called whitelist of uh, those who who will be trusted enough not having to go through that authorization process every single time that they want to post something and some countries and some news outlets didn't make that list so they are pretty pissed off mm, can imagine yeah but in the case of hungary it's not only the news outlets themselves that are pissed off but the government course they off are. right now and the reason for that is because they are controlling all the major news outlets in hungary right now and obviously their facebook pages generate a lot of traffic as well so there is an estimation that uh, in hungary currently there are 5.8 to 6.1 million hungarian people above the age of 13 can be reached on facebook out of the 10 million people. Basically, more people can be reached on Facebook than the number of people who cast their ballots on the last election. Hmm. That means that it's a powerful tool in the hands of the government. There are several papers discussing that the government basically won the elections on Facebook, not through the government portals, and the government websites and the government pages, but those news outlets that are controlled by the government, it was not revealed, so a disclaimer was not put out that it was financed by the government. Mm. So at least they will have to do that now. But now the government is preparing for a counterattack against that. Let me guess, they're going to start their own Facebook. Oh, no. (laughs) No. 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 No, there are two ways... 
they they want to okay. try. Uh, first of all, they claim that it's a violation of free speech. Of course. If I can't spread my bullshit without you knowing it, then it's a violation of my free speech. Yeah, but imagine that. They don't say that you cannot post that. Mm. They say that you cannot boost it by paying for the post to be viewed by millions of mm. people. So it, there is there is a massive difference. So that will probably not work. So what they now try to do is um, they try to uh, give a different legal status to Facebook in Hungary, which is called a mass media status. Mm-hmm. And that would bring it under the umbrella of Hung- the Hungarian legal environment and be able to controlled by the Hungarian government. So it will be quite a challenge for Facebook's uh, lawyers and yeah, the, the international so. team. But uh, yeah, we will just have to wait and see how it goes. Wow, <laughs> quite interesting. Yeah. yeah, because obviously one of the topics that, that were very prevalent during the elections was immigration, obviously. Mm-hmm. And Facebook is trying to get around to do this change in their policies and the algorithms and how they allow paid-for posts and advertisements. Probably it's kind of a, of a rehearsal for the upcoming uh, U.S. elections next year. Yeah. So they want to test this system, their new system, with the European elections. Mm. At least this is this is what what can be seen in uh, what they have communicated about this new changes these new changes uh, recently. So they have to so everyone who who pays for a post they have to put out a paid for by disclaimer on the ads and stuff. So I think it's a good direction. Yeah. We'll see how how it yeah. how it works yeah. out. Interesting, right? All right, a little bit change of subject now. We we'll go to Finland where there's just been uh, an election. The Finns party, formerly known as the True Finns, (laughs) they came within an inch of becoming the largest party of the Finnish parliament. Now, becoming the largest party in Finland doesn't mean like 50% or so. It's more like 17, 18%. So, So there's a lot of parties in the Finnish parliament but there was just one seat between them and the Social Democrats. So it was very, very close. So the Social Democrat Party will now have to um, form a coalition with quite a few other parties, but the Finns parties will not be among them. And personally, of course, I think that is a good thing. Well, we do take a political stance sometimes here. But what is interesting from a skeptical angle is that this party, they have a root in xenophobia and conspiracies about how Finland as an entity is in danger, that EU is bad, and that immigrants are diluting the Finnish culture and things like that. We, 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 it's rather typical. We, this kind of party, we see them in uh, many, or if not all, of uh, Europe. But what is new here, and what I want to talk is that they have switched focus from the immigration threat to climate change. They now say that climate change, or the climate change scare rather, is just another conspiracy imposed on poor Finland by international forces and with hidden agendas and stuff like that. And I'm not so surprised, actually, because in the 12-month period ending on 
31st of March this year, only about uh, 1,800 asylum applications were approved in Finland. So it's not really that much. And so immigration isn't really this big threat that they can sell to their uh, voters. So they had to find another conspiracy to focus on. And so they came up with climate change. It just goes to show Mm. this kind of parties are driven not really by rational questions, but but the feeling that everyone is out to get us. Whatever conspiracy theory you bring up, that's what they subscribe to. And uh, we've seen this before. And this illustrates that point. It's quite uh, interesting, I think, to see, see this happening. Fortunately, as I said, they will not have any part in the future government of uh, Finland. But it was very, very close. <laughs> mm. Oh, my God. And what's the name? What's, uh, their name is... Uh... In, uh, on Wikipedia, where I see the, the translation, it's now called Finns Party or The Finns Party. So the party of okay. the Finns. Uh, I've always heard them referred to as the true Finns party, but apparently they're not <laughs> no longer true, so they've skipped that first <laughs> thing. Nice, yeah. nice. They're flapping with their fins. You want you want to even break out into song? Do you know what song I'm thinking of, uh, Andras? Monty no, no, no. Python. Finland, 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 the country where I like to be. No, well. You don't get that reference? It's part of the Monty Python's Flying Circus thing. No. No, I don't get <laughs> Okay. <it. laughs> Kudos to all the the, <laughs> the 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 listeners that got that reference. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Good for you. All right. I'm I'm moving on to very very quick ones. Uh going back to Facebook and how Facebook can spread misinformation and help people spread misinformation. For example, there was a Facebook post uh, recently published by Mark Elsie from the UK. Just just a question. Did you know type 1 diabetes is listed as a side effect on the MMR vaccine package insert? No. Is it really? N- no, 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 it's okay, not. so that's why I didn't know it. So good. <laughs> so uh yeah but f- luckily fullfact.org uh, which is the UK's uh, independent fact-checking charity jumped onto this and uh, they tried to figure out or find out what's the truth behind this so so the thing is is diabetes is listed in in the USA in the MMR2 vaccine database it is listed as an adverse reaction the adverse reaction doesn't necessarily have to have a connection to the actual vaccination. So there is no need for a causal effect and a causal link. Okay. So this is this is how someone might have read that the the Food and Drug Administration of the US published a range of information about the MMR2 and uh, obviously that leaflet included a couple of adverse reactions. The adverse reaction is not a side effect. The side effect is what is caused by the actual intervention, medical intervention. And the adverse reaction is whatever has been experienced by anyone after ah, having okay. taking uh, having taken the the, the intervention. So it doesn't have it's to. It's like be... if you break your leg on the way out from having had. Yeah, the, yeah that's, that's an, an adverse, adverse reaction. reaction, and it's not. But it's it's not a side effect. <laughs> <laughs> So this is this is what it what happened and it quickly took up followers that post. 
And it's still there. It's still there. It was published on the 26th of March, and it's still there already shared by 2.4 thousand Mm. times. This is why Facebook needs to be more cautious, and we need to be more cautious with the information that is Mm. published on Facebook. No, 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 (laughs) no. Don't trust them. It's easy to get tricked like that. Yeah, exactly. All right. Brussels and EU... In Brussels, there is a 5G testing. 5G about uh, getting uh, internet data on your cell phone. But now it's uh, on hold because it may be harmful. (sighs) Sigh. It's not. Anyway. (laughs) This is some (laughs) Luddite news. And uh, thanks for listener Bob for, for the tip. The city of Brussels has halted work on preparing for 5G networks amid fears that the amount of radiation being produced has left citizens as guinea pigs. No, it hasn't. That's not, that's not true. <laughs> uh, but Brussels is not just a city and not just sort of the center of EU, but it also has the status as a region of Belgium and as such it handles certain local regulations separately from the other regions of, of Belgium. They had, in Brussels, decided to explore and experiment with new 5G coverage within within the city. But now, the Minister of Housing, Quality of Life, Environment and Energy, that, that's quite a lot, in the Brussels region, she's called Céline Fremont, and she has ordered testing to stop because the antennas aren't able to report how much radiation that they are creating and therefore no one can guarantee that they keep within the limits that has been agreed on. It sounds bad, of course, if they can't guarantee that they keep within the limits. But the truth is that no one has demonstrated that it could be dangerous anyway. And and no... no, (laughs) Nobody still can prove that it's not dangerous. And this is where we get into the scientific method and how you cannot really say that anything is... You can't prove a negative. You can't prove that you have... There is no unicorns in the world because you can search the whole world, the whole universe, and the only thing you can say when you get back is that you didn't find any. But that doesn't mean that they don't exist. So... Science always have to say things like, we have not found any link between 5G and health issues. And that people just take that as science has still not found the link between 5G and health issues. But that's not the same thing. (laughs) Brussels has been home of this kind of fear mongering before when it comes to 4G, 3G, etc., it is, in my opinion, only a political thing to stop this uh, testing, and there's no real scientific reasons behind it. The problem is that with Brussels being such a, an iconic city within the EU, the risk is that it will get uh, too much attention and a sort of precedence, and uh, then it will spread to the rest of EU. I, I, I don't know. Let's see. Let's hope that doesn't happen. I remember. When Sophie Van Turnut, who leads the EU Office of um, Sense About Science, she said that um, when she was working with uh, EU legislators with science communication, and they put together, I I don't know what the the evidence was, what kind of issue it was about, 
but she said that they piled up all the evidence and and gave it to those politicians and they said yeah we know but i think i think it was gmos yeah, or something probably yeah that uh yeah we know that is a fact that it's not harmful but we cannot legislate for it only against it because of the public demand yeah. So, yeah, but science should not be decided based on the public demand. Yeah. It's, it's, it should be based on science and science is scientific facts. It should be, but, uh, yeah, that's ah. not how it works, no. Yeah, but uh, what about how things work? Uh, what about uh, fighting cancer? I'll, I'll give you the miracle, the miracle cure. Okay. Three tablespoons of organic coconut oil, morning and night. <laughs> No. Drink lemon mixed with hot water for one to three months and stop all sugar intake and your cancer cells will just die. Fantastic. I wish it was that simple. I wish it was that simple. <laughs> for fuck's sake. Uh, yeah, this is another Facebook post that, that has about 1.4 thousand uh, shares wow. so far. The funny thing is that it's uh, it's propagated by uh, Rick Simpson's Oil UK. Uh, apparently, they are basically selling, well, cannabis oil. So <laughs> Yeah, okay. With about 1,000 followers. But it means that 1,000 followers can generate that much traffic. Yeah. The post is very catchy. And, well, fighting cancer and making it so easy. So, obviously, uh, you will reshare it. Because people just share Facebook posts without questioning anything that is included in it or written in hmm. it. So, but the problem is that fullfact.org went on to find out about these claims as well. Well, surprise, surprise, none of these claims of the three claims holds water. So... Nope. No. No. Nope. A tablespoon, Wrong. three tablespoons of organic coconut oil, do nothing to our knowledge <laughs> regarding your cancer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Drinking lemon mixed with hot water, stopping all sugar intake is just not a good idea. Well, actually, that claim is very widely held. A lot of my family members as well they they consider it a fact that if you stop sugar intake, that will kill cancer. Wow, which is just not true. Yeah. Your, there, there, your, body, there are, your cells need sugar. There, there are reasons to, to be careful about how much sugar you get into your body, but it has nothing to do with cancer, right? Yeah, it's based on the, the claim that uh, cancer cells have a higher metabolic rate. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure well, they do well. have differences in, in, in metabolic rate. That doesn't mean that sugar would feed the cancer, and if you stop sugar, you will not have any cancer. Yeah, it's not that easy. Just isn't. No, it's not. It's not. Because your other cells will die of hunger as well. <laughs> sure. Okay. Oh, I wish I wish there were organizations fighting pseudoscience. Oh, but there is. There are. <laughs> <laughs> good segue. <laughs> we have good friends, of course, at the Portuguese Skeptics. Concept mm -hmm. is, is what the organization is called. And they keep yeah. developing their activities. Uh, three years ago, they, they formally registered as a, a non-profit organization, and they do a lot of great work, relying on people like uh, Diana Barbosa and Joao Monteiro and their friends. 
We just recently actually talked about their Flying Unicorn Awards in um, episode 165. Mm -hmm. But they need and deserve our support as well. And uh, now the good news is that you can from now on support them with recurring micropayments via patreon.com slash concept. C-O-M-C-E-P-T. So go on and do that, everyone. And we will put the link, of course, in the show notes. All right. That's true. And uh, well done. Uh, I I remember reading about that um, on their website. I mean, I had to use Google Translate, obviously, but uh, thank God for that. Or Google. Um, (laughs) Google for that, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they start out by saying that they have been trying different ways of funding their activities. And I think that's a common theme in all skeptical organizations around the world. And uh, we've mentioned um, Retraction Watch. There is fullfact.org that I just mentioned. They need the funding. And mm. if you if you look at uh, some of the news outlets as well, some news outlets, especially those that provide constant quality, like The Guardian, uh, with all the, the scientific content and, and very high-quality content, they need our support. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean... That's not a re- a really good business venture to spread facts. <laughs> <laughs> no, unfortunately. To... The truth doesn't sell. That's no. unfortunate. But... No, no, no. Enough of the news items, I believe, for this week, um, even though there, there were only two of us. It's, it's a regular issue that we face with the news items. What to include and what to leave out, because there are so many things going on in Europe. Yeah. But... Let's see if we have a really wrong or a really right this week. All right, so let's finish today with a long overdue really right, actually, to Mm. an organization that has been helping with correcting the internet for many years now. And correcting the internet, that's that's a huge task. (laughs) That's not very easily done. But Snopes.com has for a long time relentlessly tried to fight all the fake news and wrong things that's going on out there. And tying back to the intro where we talked a lot about the the fire at uh, mm-hmm. Notre Dame, I want to take that as an an excuse really to highlight them and there was a post going around in social media saying that Nostradamus wrote that when the great cathedral glows red so will begin the descent of man trying to make this event being uh, uh, the start of uh, I don't know the apocalypse or or something like that so that made the rounds of the on the internet but Snopes were very quickly on the track and they they investigated the things did uh, nostradamus first of all you have to to believe that this guy actually could predict the future the second thing is to check did he actually write that or not and <laughs> as as snope so uh, finally put it they said and i quote a statement can only qualify as a prediction if it exists prior to the event it foretells <laughs> Meaning that it's only a prediction if you say it before it happens. And since this came up after the fact and no no relation to Nostradamus, then uh, it's not really a prediction and you can just ignore it. 
<laughs> but ima- imagine imagine that a prediction that the great cathedral is on fire or what what, what was it is is going glows red yeah glows yeah. red yeah there has been in his in the history of humanity there has been many many great cathedrals that were glowing red for example in london the mm-hmm. the great fire of london in 1666 yeah devastated st paul's cathedral yeah but it but had to I, be rebuilt I, Yes, but they didn't have social media at the time, so it didn't yeah. really make the same. Yeah, yeah. no, and and uh, Nostradamus is uh, Nostradamusis. Is that the word? <laughs> his whoever he was, his predictions were never that even straightforward. So, saying that <laughs> yeah, yeah. when the great cathedral grows red, so will begin the descent of man. That's much too coherent for anything that he, this guy wrote, anyway. Yeah, but, yeah. So. Comes as no surprise, he didn't do that. <laughs> so he didn't write that. And uh, Snopes, for uh, being a shining light in the darkness of the internet, gets today's, <laughs> get today's prize for being really right. Really, really right. Yeah, he. they are really right for pointing out who's been really wrong. <laughs> Very well put. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Thank you very much, Pontus. Okay. Thank you. And I think this concludes our show. Since Jana's not here, I'll be presenting a quote. I thought that because of us uh, starting with uh, discussing the, the fire at Notre Dame, or why don't we we quote someone or use someone's quote who is a very important and well-known French writer. Uh, not only that, but a pioneer of science fiction as well. Ooh. Do you know who that is? Uh, well, yes, I can see it on the screen here. So, <laughs> yes, I know who it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, it's uh, Jules Verne. Jules Verne yes. is who, who, who we are talking about. Are his works well-known and, and widely read in uh, Sweden? I have read, I think, everything he has written, and I read it before I was 15. So nice. I can't okay. speak for the all, all of Sweden, but I was absolutely fascinated by his works when I was a young teenager. Okay. So this will probably be familiar. I mean, uh, however, I will not attempt to quote the original French version of it, but an English translation. And the quote is from The Journey to the Center of the Earth. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable that it was written in 1864. It's, oh, wow. Okay. When you think of, think of what he wrote about, all that stuff, oh my God, in the, at the end of the 19th century, fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, no wonder he's considered the pioneer of science fiction. So, Jules Verne said, or wrote, in The Journey to the Center of the Earth, Science, my lad, has been built upon many errors, but they are errors which it was good to fall into, for they led to the truth. Woo! Beautiful. Spoken <laughs> almost like a scientist, isn't it? Yeah. You, you have to fail to become wiser. You have to falsify things. You have to try and try. And whatever you find is not true leads you closer to the truth. Exactly. Exactly. So, thanks very much for that quote to Jules Verne. And I'd like to thank you 
for joining me, t- joining me today. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. I uh, hope we'll have Yelena back as so- uh, sooner than, rather than later. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, I'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in. Please keep doing so. And until next week, goodbye. Bye-bye. Paka oh. paka. Well, <laughs> paka paka. <laughs> <laughs> This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu, and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. <laughs> For a moment, I was waiting for Yelena. <laughs> oh, that's sad. That's sad. Yeah, it is, yeah. <laughs> Finland, Finland, Finland The country where I want to be Eating breakfast or dinner Or snack lunch in the hall Finland, Finland, Finland Finland has it all